Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app or visit amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free and catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Lauren Interviews. So today's story, which is called Shelby's Story, is a really important one that I wanted to shed some light on. So some of you may know that I have another podcast that's called Corruption, What Happened to Grant Solomon, which is about a boy who mysteriously died in a small town in Tennessee. But the backstory of this podcast is much bigger. There is a story of the broken family court system, a story of domestic abuse, domestic violence, and so much more. And Shelby's story is similar to that. So Shelby Bowen reached out to me, I want to say about two to three weeks ago via email, and she was just desperate. She was in a situation, or she is in a situation, I should say, and she just doesn't know what to do. So you're going to hear about her situation in our our interview. I don't want to I don't want to get too much into that, but basically she is a current victim of the broken family court system and I don't think there is quite enough attention to this in the United States specifically. A recent and completely heartbreaking story that came to mind for me, was the story of Catherine Kasanoff. And if you are not familiar with Catherine Kasanoff's story, it is so tragic. She um, she ended her own life in Switzerland and assisted suicide in July of 2023, and it made national headlines. She had terminal cancer, but really, she just had had enough of the family court system and everything that she was going through. So I want to read to you guys the suicide note that Catherine left because I think it's really important to understand what she went through. It reads, quote, Dear friends, family, and supporters, it is with a profound heartbreak that I hope none of you ever experience that I am writing my last post ever. Today, I will be ending my own life. I will be doing so in a dignified and idyllic setting in Europe. There are simply no options left. In the last four years of my life, I have woken up to every day to a nightmare like no other. I can no longer endure the abuse and terror of Alan Kasanoff, who has spent the last four years mercilessly trying to incarcerate me on false charges as recently as March 2023. I have also endured the emotional devastation of being without my children for so long, homeless from Alan's repeated ex parte evictions of me from the homes I own and rented, deprivation of my property and obliteration of my life savings, the loss of my two dogs, the loss of my career and reputation, and the humiliation and ostracism from all this. 
Perhaps if I had the physical endurance to keep going, I would. But with a new terminal health issue that will soon be severely limiting my physical strength as well, and with no protection from our courts, I cannot keep running from Alan. I was recently diagnosed with a life-ending cancer. And after having had breast cancer twice in my life already, I cannot go through debilitating chemo, surgeries, and radiation again, this time with a dire prognosis and with Alan fighting me, quote-unquote, until he dies and no court intervention whatsoever. Those were his exact words to me in an email he sent on March 19th, 2023. See Dropbox link below. So please understand why I did not share this news widely. If Alan had known about my health issues, he surely would have tried that much harder to end my existence. As many of you know, on January 26, 2022, I was falsely arrested on serial reports made by Alan Kasanoff in October 2021, December 2021, and then on January 25th, 2022. After I proclaimed my innocence and fought these allegations, I won. On March 16th, 2022, all his bogus charges were dropped and his bogus ex parte orders of protection were vacated. His claims for contempt, seeking my incarceration, were also dismissed with prejudice. But history has shown that Alan will never stop until I'm gone. As recently as March 18th, 2023, Alan again tried to have me arrested. On that day, while I was watching our nine-year-old daughter skate, he got off the ice and came at me. I told him to get away from me four times. He wouldn't. He taunted me instead. Then he reported me to police claiming falsely that he had a restraining order when he didn't and when I had every right to see my daughter skate. I captured his confrontation of me on video, which I am posting in Dropbox along with the 911 call and the police report in which he falsely told police I was capable of killing him or my own children. Based on the false 911 call he initiated, police officers came to the rink. Alan stood in the background with our own daughter, laughing and pointing at me while I was being questioned, waiting with her to see if I would be taken away in cuffs. See the photo. Fortunately, I wasn't arrested and the police realized he was lying. But this is how I have been living for years, like a hunted animal, worried about when Alan will make the next false report. He sees all this as a game and the courts have not stopped him. They are too even scared of him or maybe they just don't care while they handed out ex parte tops against me like candy on his say say they would not even enter this against him after two days of testimony from police and the rink manager that he lied in order to try to procure my false arrest once again for a long time i believed i could make my children's lives better by fighting to stay in them even if it was just for moments at a time as time went on, the in-between of those moments became unbearable. I would long for the girls and try to think of all the things they might need, even though I was held at such a distance that I did not even know what those things might be. I imagined who their friends were, where they went, who they spent time with, what their dreams were. 
I had nothing more than my own imagination to work with because for the last three years, I was removed from being their mother. I could not tuck them into bed at night, take them to school, host their sleepovers, make their breakfast, or take them on vacations. Alan wouldn't allow any of that, and the court gave him everything he wanted. I often shook from the pain of it. In recent weeks, I came to realize that my presence in their lives only brings them pain and suffering. That is because they must answer to a father who does not view me as human. He erased every element of their being that had anything to do with me. French, Christianity, tennis. They have learned to identify with him in order to survive. So now they declare how they, quote-unquote, hate Christmas, and they call me, quote, Catherine instead of mom, just for him. In the end, they must reject me for him. I can see the pain on their little faces when they have to manage the unspeakable conflict that only my oldest seems strong enough to manage and fight through to see me. It is a look that has haunted me for a long time, and I just don't want to see it anymore. I just want their and my pain to end. Their father has spent millions of dollars and years to eliminate me from our girls' lives. He has liquidated savings to do so. He will never relent, and he will spend their life savings. He will demonize me to them mercilessly, and he has made them suffer if even they just want to see me. They have been diagnosed with depression and worse. As long as I am alive and want to see them, they will be damaged over and over again with every attempt I make. And what is the point of that? The last thing I want to do is make my own children suffer. Even in death, Alan Kasanoff will never stop. After I am gone, he will falsely tell everyone that I am mentally ill, that I am a criminal and a liar. But I am none of these things, and I have proven it. I don't have a criminal past. I am a former, former federal prosecutor and special counsel to the governor of New York. I showed the undeniable abuse that he perpetrated on numerous videos, showing that I did not lie about that. And I have the testimony and reports of various doctors to prove my mental health. See the link. Indeed, under Swiss law, a person wishing to end their life can only do so after meeting a very high bar and being found competent, not suffering from mental impairments. The Swiss doctor and my therapist, Dr. Anna Falova and Dr. Stephanie Brandt have confirmed this. See the Dropbox link. Alan's need to convince others otherwise comes from his shame about the truth, that he was a domestic abuser. By trying to cast me in these negative ways, he thinks he can clear his name. He cannot. The videos, audios, and other material will follow him forever. You will find police testimony about his abuse, medical records of his abuse, affidavits of his abuse, and more in the link. Shame on Greenberg Traurig, who knew all of this and did nothing to stand up for the rights of domestic abuse survivors like me and my daughters. My girls deserve so much better than the life they were given by their father and the court system that was supposed to and miserably failed to protect them and me. The court system favors the moneyed party, and if that party happens to be an angry litigator, God help the other parent. I was a good and loving mom who sacrificed my own career trajectory to have children whom I finally conceived after many years of fertility treatments.
I did not abuse alcohol, children, or drugs. I've never had so much as a brush with the law until Alan tried to have me arrested. I did not lose my entire life to a fair and just process. I exposed both a corrupt forensic evaluator named Mark Abrams and a corrupt attorney for the children, Carol Most, both of whom were removed in disgrace from my case. But the system did not fix what it broke after that came to light. It turned my custody battle into a money-making churn. Alan filed this divorce action in May of 2019. Until just recently, there was no final trial scheduled in this case. What a complete disgrace. To use the misery of a family so that various court personnel can get rich. Dr. Adler, who somehow qualified her to charge $600 an hour to reprogram the girls. Dr. McGuffig, who charged $450 an hour so the father could sit in on my daughter's sessions and who told my daughter she had to quote-unquote pick between me or your mom. Dr. Abrams, who made over $40,000 to testify for the father and was removed from the panel of forensic custody evaluators in disgrace. And lastly, Carol Most, who just billed a staggering $270,000 after being removed from the case for gross ethical misconduct. I hope in death I will accomplish what I could not in life. I hope our legislators, judges, media, and others will take notice of the price I am paying today, the horrors of family court, and how the court destroys families in order to profit. I hope the public will stand up and say, no more, your children deserve better. So did mine. My primary contact is Wayne Baker, should you have anything to share with him, and who has all my documents from the divorce case, etc. Please don't let my demise be in vain. Reach out to him to organize yourselves and use the facts of my case, which Wayne also has access to, and make change. Don't let our children grow up to re-experience this trauma as adults. All of my materials in support of what I write are available at this link, which I urge you to share everywhere before Alan finds a way to shut down this Facebook page. Please don't let the world or my children forget the real Alan who is on the dozens of videos I have posted here on Facebook. Please preserve them for my children when they are ready to remember and learn the truth about him. Please stand up to abusers like this who enjoy tormenting others. For the sake of my children and other mothers who live through this terror of domestic abuse, I ask that you please keep telling my story so that the truth is known far and wide. And finally, a special thank you to those in my life who always put my children first and who have supported me unfailingly. My mother, Jennifer Cully, Carrie Christ, Stephanie Brandt, Jonathan Davidoff, Wayne Baker, Catherine Klein, Catherine Sinsabaugh, Liz Curtin, Lizzie Hardin, Brian McQuillan, Corey Doyle, Rory Doyle, excuse me, and my wonderful lawyers, Andy Frisch and Evan Weidecker. Catherine Youth Yusuf Kasanoff, end quote. Wow, that was so heartbreaking and also so frustrating. I mean, my heart, my heart is just broken in two. And, and as for Alan Kasanoff, I mean, he is a disgusting, horrific excuse for a human being. Truly. I do not know how he sleeps at night. 
And I want to pivot back to Shelby because I'm going to play our interview. And I I just want to reiterate how important this is because Shelby right now is essentially living a nightmare, being gaslit by her ex-husband. And again, this is all in Shelby's own words. I really didn't edit a whole lot. Um, And again, if you are in an abusive relationship or an abusive marriage and, and you see these tiny little red flags or these signs, pay attention to them. Do not wait until it's too late. So without further ado, I will play Shelby's story. Okay. Hello, everyone. I am here with Shelby Bowen. Thank you so much for joining me, Shelby. Yes, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. So I mentioned earlier uh, to the listeners that I got an email from you and, you know, the email, you seemed pretty desperate for help. You seemed like you had been looking everywhere, contacting everybody and, um, you know, you just felt a bit helpless. So I I definitely want to get into your story. But first, can you just give everybody a little bit of a background on yourself? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I am a 47-year-old woman. Um, I have four children that are 10, 8, 6, and 5. Um, I live in California. And prior to um, starting a family and getting married and meeting my husband, who was born and raised here, um, I actually I was born in Ohio in a small town. And then um, I kind of had a had a desire to get out of a small town. I went to the Air Force Academy um, after I was recruited to play basketball there. And I played basketball for four years and I served um, active duty eight years following the Air Force Academy. Thank um, you and then, for your service. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I'm a, I'm a female veteran. I, yeah. I was an aircraft maintenance officer, um, but by trade, um, that's what they trained me to do in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And I did have an uh, opportunity to work on several different types of aircraft. Um, I was an a- a- F-16, A-10, C-141s. I was flight line maintenance for that, back shop maintenance for that. Mm. Um, but then, um, after I got out of the air force, I actually went into, um, medical device sales and that's how I met my husband who, um, was born and raised in San Luis Obispo. Wow. Okay. Got it. So you went into medical device sales and you met your husband and Mm -hmm. did you fall in love immediately? Was it love at first sight? What did he court you? How did that work? I was actually engaged to another person. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I had <laughs> and I had been with him for, for six years and we were a couple months away from getting married when I met my ex-husband. Um, he, he was, he was very, um, charismatic. He was very intrigued by me. Um, I had been in this long-term relationship waiting for this guy to propose. Um, and he kind of was that guy who wouldn't commit. Right. And mm. so, um, once he did, I was all excited, but then this other guy had kind of come along and that was my ex-husband. Um, and he was full court press. I mean, he saw me and he said things like, oh, I'm going to have that. And I just want you. I don't care what you do or um, what, you know, I don't care. What did he say to me? He said, um, for verbatim, he said, uh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to call off your wedding. You're going to marry me. You're going to have my children and you're going to quit your job and you're going to live with me. And I just thought, well, this is cute. You know, I have been waiting my whole life for a man who just sees how amazing I am. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I had been with these guys who had not committed. I was older. I was ready to start a family. Mm -hmm. I had my career in the bucket. I had done 12 years either selling medical device sales or serving in the air force. 
And so when he came along and said, you're amazing. I don't need to know anything else. You just, oh my gosh, I have to have you. I thought, finally, finally. Right, right. Nothing else matters, right? Nothing else matters. He just said, yeah, nothing else matters. You're amazing. You know? And so it was, it was full court press, girl. From that time forward, he was like, I told my friends I'm available to you. If they call me, I'm going to hang out my phone. I'm, I'm coming to you. I just want to be with you. And I thought, this is amazing. I have never had this before. And it seems like that. he he really wanted to take care of you by saying, you know, you're going to have my babies and you're going to quit your job. And I'm sure at the time you're like, oh, that sounds great. I mean, someone actually wants to take care of me. And um, yeah, so that's, that's, I guess, a different speed. So you got married. How soon after you met? Your we husband. got married about a year and a half after we had met <clears throat> and we were both, and we were both older, you know, he's, he was, we were late, late thirties at that point. We both knew we wanted to have kids mm. and neither one of us had had children. Um, I mean it for where I was at in my life, it was seemed like the perfect alignment, you know? Um, yeah. and I was just so excited that this man just, all he wanted to do was take care of me. And I had waited, you know, I had really devoted my life to my career and achieving and being independent. And I got a master's degree while I was in the Air Force Wow! so that I could commit to children one day. I knew I wanted to be a mama. I knew I wanted to be a mama. And so when he came along, I thought, I'm ready for that. I cannot wait to just devote my life to my husband, who my loving, caring husband. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And my children. And I. So I was on that track and it just, he just said, he said exactly what I wanted to hear at that point in my life. And he was fun. He was really fun. And he was a a local in the community and, you know, he had friends here and friends there and he was country club this and country club that. And it was a good life. It was fun. I'm trying to set, also set the tone. So you live in an area of California that's fairly affluent. Would you say you mentioned country club community? Okay. And so he is still working at Stryker, uh, making a good living for your family. I'm he actually is. A, he's a produce broker. He doesn't work in device sales. He's a he's a produce broker. So okay. we're in an agricultural community here. Okay. Um, it's a big farming winery. I mean, the land here is known for being the salad bowl of America. So it's a lot of agriculture. Mm. And Cal Poly is our local university here. And, and it's an ag school. I mean, that's this is it's an ag community. Um, so, yeah, there's it's a lot of farming money. It's a lot. Yeah. Of, yeah a lot of okay. wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, it's, like, it's kind of like country money. You know what I mean? Like there's cattle. I there. Totally <laughs> understand. But the point yeah. is he's, he's very well liked in the community, very well known as are you, I'm sure. And then you have four children together over the course of 10 years. Almost, ten, almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, almost uh, 10. almost 10. So you were mm-hmm. married for nine years before you decided that you wanted to get a divorce. Yeah, that is right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, uh, tell me about your kids, how old they are. And, uh, yeah, and, so and, yeah my, you, don't, you don't have to say their names, but yeah, if you don't want to, but oh, yeah. it's okay. <laughs> my oldest, I have three boys. Um, oh. my oldest is 10. My middle boy is eight and my um, youngest is six. And then my daughter, I have a, a baby. I call her my baby girl still, but she's just turned five. Yeah. And, that's still a baby. That's still a baby. My youngest oh, is four. He's the baby. So I totally I understand. Told her that. I'm like, you're yeah. always going to be my baby. Stop telling me you're not a baby. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, you are a baby. I don't care what you, you say. Are. You're a baby. You're um, always going to be my baby. <laughs> so she's five now. Um, when did you start to see a change in your husband and was it drastic or was it a slow burn, so to speak? 
So the interesting thing about being in an emotionally and financially and mentally abusive relationship, which is what it started out as the physical didn't come till later, um, is it's really hard to even identify it until you're away from it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a lot of what I'm going to tell you about what I saw, I didn't see it for that back then. And I think that's what's scary is I can see that now. And it's so sad to me because the level of manipulation and calculation and um, subtleness is sophisticated and it's, it's scarier than, than what I think we know as a community, as what we think of when we think abuse. And one of my reasons for reaching out to you was that, was because I think that that definition and understanding has changed so much with the power of the mind and how these type of men have, have, have taken advantage of women who have this type of empathy and compassion and success. It seems to be these women who are actually really brilliant. I mean, Catherine was an attorney for God's sakes. Right. Yeah. And that was Mm -hmm. part of my motivation is like, if this can happen to me, the master's degree from the air force Academy and can happen to women like Catherine. And and when her story came out, that is when I lit on fire because I've said, I will not be another Catherine Kasanoff. I will not be like, mm -mm, you know, and I'm getting absolutely. ahead of myself, but yeah, absolutely. But that is, that is, I think the first step when I thought about talking to you, I thought, what do I want people to hear and understand? And it's this abuse is, is a surprise. It will yeah. surprise everyone that this is what these men do behind the scenes. They're well, so good at it. It's the term, um, gaslighting. And I've said this a lot. We didn't have that term, you know, 10 years ago or, And it's really helpful to be able to place that and understand what's happening because we've all been, I mean, I had a former boss that used to do that. And so maybe it's not my husband or a boyfriend, but I had a former boss where I was like, wait, I thought I was in the right. And now I feel like I'm, Um, my brain is spinning right now. So please continue. Um, yes. Well, they start, but I think they start and you can tell me what you experienced with almost like capitalizing on your, your little bit of self doubt that you may have, or your little bit of self-criticism because I have seen that a lot of women like me who are high achieving, they are self-critical. That's sort of what runs them. You know, they're always trying to achieve and do better and be successful and smart and stay on top of it. And men like that see that and they just think, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to control her. They're threat. I I mean, they are threatened by that to a certain degree. I think a lot of men don't want women who want to speak their mind and stand up for themselves. And, and so he started to steadily chip away. You know, just okay. my autonomy, my independence. And I had no idea it was happening because like I said, I was so excited to commit to someone and I was yeah. so excited to take care of children. I, I had done everything I wanted to do for myself. Yeah. So he had found the perfect woman to take advantage of, to be honest with you. I just had no idea. <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he started to just say subtle things. You know, it would be, um, it was a, after the second baby the attention, you know, had now started to come away from him. Yeah. Of course. And I didn't have time to accommodate everything he needed and, you know, cater to him, which I had done a very good job of prior to that. Yeah. Um, but the second boy came and he was a difficult baby and he was um, awake all night and I wasn't sleeping. Um, classic, right? Classic mm-hmm. breakdown of now I got a toddler who's crawling out the crib in the middle of the night with this baby crying. And, um, and that sort of started my sort of his, ability to capitalize on me because I started to 
obviously I, I got postpartum with my second baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started to struggle in that regard. And, and instead of having a supportive, loving husband who really identified with that and wanted to do everything he could for me, it was a time for him to say, hmm, I'm going to go ahead and start criticizing her more She's and like, asking her, mm-hmm. why can't you? Why can't you get that done today? You know, what, yeah. why is there still laundry here? And I'm thinking the rest of the house is clean, honey. I don't know yeah. what. Yeah. And here as a successful person who has been able to accommodate and do everything she's ever wanted to do her entire life, I thought he's right. He's right. Oh, why can't goodness. I do it? Right. That's what happened to me. I started to self-doubt and he continued to play on that because he knew I thought I should be able to do this. You're right. Never once did I think this guy is crazy and this is four kids. Yeah, right. Exactly. Sorry, the laundry's not done. I'm keeping four small children alive. I mean, I don't. I actually got like the heebie-jeebies when you were talking about a baby screaming and a toddler getting up because that that was me too. And I only have yes. two, but I so remember that. And I remember the emptiness of postpartum depression. I remember everything and I never want to go back to that. So I totally well, understand. And it's, it's, an, it's such an altering state of mind because you go yeah. from, um, like I, it was so hard to get two kids out of the house. And I thought, why is this hard for me? I have done and achieved and done all these amazing things, but now I can't get out of the house. Yeah. And I didn't know what was going on, you know, at that time, but it was sleep deprivation and all those symptoms. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he just, he, he did not support. He did not get up with the children in the middle of the night. You know, he was the guy who did not want anything to do with raising the kids. I mean, it is yeah. a classic story. Yeah. You know, it is a classic story. 100%. He wanted, he, he wanted a, 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 a figure to put up yep. and pawns to play into this. To, so he could project an image of quote unquote, perfection and that he was perfect all the while behind the scenes tearing me apart and tearing me down and taking control financially he and his father his father was a cpa they had complete control of our finances i received an allowance oh goodness wow mm -hmm. very controlling and and i had to ask for anything else above and beyond you know and um and it's so crazy because people who know me are like i cannot see you tolerating that and i said you guys have to understand, like I was done. I, yeah. I took care of myself. I did a career. I proved that I could do a budget. Like I, yeah. I wanted to be care of so I could take care of someone's kids. Mm-hmm. And I trusted him. I trusted him. You know, this was my husband. I thought mm-hmm. he knows how amazing I am. He's mm-hmm. going to take care of me. I gave up my life for him and, and my kids. Yeah. And, um, and that's how I got, that's how I got controlled. And that's how I inevitably ended up getting abused. Um, and it certainly was not because of um, anything I did, right? Right, or did right. of course, of course. <laughs> Which now, I think we often feel responsible. And that's what, the sad part too. When did the the physical aspect come up? Yeah. Um, yes, so. Yes, or I should say, when did the physical aspect of um, your abuse come about? Well, um, he would he would drink, but not all the years. You know, it was right. kind of an flow thing. Okay. Um, and he kind of had like almost seasonal drinking based on stress. And I, I realized all this after the fact. Yeah. But it didn't start until 2019. So we had we had been married um, in 2011. And so in 2019, the irony of this story, which I won't go into a lot of detail for the sake of what we're talking about today, but um, is that I didn't know it at 
that time, but we had gotten into an altercation that night and he had choked me out so bad. I had blacked out. Oh my God. And woke up not breathing. I woke up not breathing. And uh, because I had blacked out so long, he convinced me that I had a breakdown. And I remember, I remember we were fighting. We were fighting, you know, we were arguing. Yeah. And uh, he he had something in his hand and I took it from him. When I took it from him, I said, give me that. And he then came at me and I don't remember anything. And uh, <laughs> this man called the ambulance after now what I know from going through therapy and having some brain spotting done and some trauma co- recovery. Um, he convinced everyone that I had been abusing prescription drugs, which this is where the court system this is where the court system starts to to fall into play. Yeah. How they, oh no, um, that I had a breakdown because because that night he calls the police right and an ambulance because I am responding from being attacked by him, but I don't know it. Mm-hmm. I'm having a trauma response to being choked out, almost killed, and I woke up screaming. I can't breathe. God, please don't leave me. God, please don't leave me. And I couldn't breathe. I could not breathe. I was on my back on our patio and he was over here. Mm-hmm. So he proceeds to, to create a narrative that I went crazy, was abusing prescription drugs, which was not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I had a manic breakdown is what he starts telling everybody. I'm this not that 20, 2019. Okay. 2019. So we go to the hospital and, you know, I'm out of it. He does all the talking. I don't even know what happens. Like I go back to the house. He's, you know, talking to me and telling me what had happened, which he said, you snapped. I came out, you were screaming. And I'm like, no, no, no. We were in an argument. You want to talk about gaslighting? Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Here's a prime example of gaslighting. Right. I said, no, no, no. We were, you know, we were in an argument. And he, he was like, no. I said, I remember you coming at me. He's like, no, Shelby, you were standing in the living room screaming and I thought someone was attacking you. So I came out and you were going crazy and you were banging your head on the concrete. What? And I was like, what? Now, now listen, Lauren, I have never in my life had a breakdown. I've never even, not an inkling, 40, I was 40, how old was I then? Yeah. You were like 40 years. Right, right. Did you have... Did you have uh, marks that would match banging your head against the cement or pavement? No. And that's no. why I okay. things, all those yeah. things come back. Right. And he, when he chokes me out, he didn't choke me like this. He knows jujitsu. So he, his signature so there's no move, marks. Right. Okay. So no he, sorry for people he listening. Uh, Shelby just put her elbow over her neck. Yes. For people listening. There is um, a term okay. for it. I can't okay. remember what it's called, but it's okay. a submiss. Once the, once your victim is, as you feel them submit, which he, he, he like a year later, he does the same thing to me again. This is why I can yeah. talk to oh. remembering exactly what he did. Um, and he also had, you know, he had taught the boys some of the jujitsu moves that he would end up using on me. So I had seen what he had done mm-hmm. and there's a lot of pressure point to control a person and, and a lot of arm twisting to get them to go where you want them to go. He knew right, all those right. things. Mm. He knew all those things. And so it's very easy for him to cover the physical abuse. It was very easy. And then he went to the hospital and did all the talking, you know? Right. Okay. Um, and now you have to remember, I, at this point, am trusting my loving husband I've been with nine years. I think I'm going crazy. Mm. So I follow, I follow the leash. You I follow did. the leash. Yeah. Yeah. And he ends up trying to, he ends up trying to, and this has happened to other women. He tried, I mean, textbook. He tries to um, admit me. 
to expect that, that night or um this is several days later he came in several me, days later and had you calmed down you were kind of living your life normally I am assuming packing lunches doing drop-offs whatever yeah, you have to do you're just living your life everything's fine okay but you yeah, had this episode a few days before right. and now yeah a few days later night, okay yes and that the night we had the argument um we were at a Friday night lights football game which is a flag football league here we had gone as a family mm-hmm Happy, he's the coach for God's sakes. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I'm the team mom. Yeah. And um, we come back and yeah, I just, uh, I, he wouldn't put my son to bed and it just created a little, you know, just, can, can you please put him to bed kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, There's four children, just, two parents. Yeah. Please. I'm like, I just, we just, it's 10 o'clock. It's time to bed <laughs> and he's on his phone, you know, and it was really initially just a standard domestic, you know, thing. And, um, but yeah, when the phone that he had in his hand, I was like, give me the phone and put him to bed. You know, it was literally like that. And then bam, that just made him snap. But anyway, that night was a whole, a whole nother, um, another piece of this puzzle that came out to me mm-hmm. five years later, you know? And so all these realizations I'm having as I'm being actively traumatized with the court system and, and the custody battle he has put me through since I left him. Um, so that was the first physical abuse. It was 2019. And, um, he convinced me that I had gone crazy. And quite honestly, I accepted that. I thought, my gosh, what is happening to me? And so they medicated me with, um, with some mood stabilizers. Um, they, you know, I just went along with, and he was leading the charge. He would go to my meetings, my psychiatrist meetings and speak for me. Um, and I just had no idea. I was, I was messed. I was broken. I thought, my gosh, he's right. Maybe I am crazy. You know, maybe I'm Did crazy. you feel any different? Um, I would assume taking medication, you might've felt a little different, but you really just felt like yourself, but you're being told that you had this breakdown. So you just mm-hmm. are like, I guess I'm crazy. And I had, I had a lot of anxiety. Obviously I was in a, yep. I was on action. Right. For all those years with the mental abuse and physical or mental, emotional, financial abuse and control with him. And, you know, he was temperamental. He was the guy that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, who's coming home today. Right. Mm, Yeah. So my mental state had declined not only from the babies, but also from his abuse that I didn't really even recognize as abuse. And so I was trying to figure out what was going on with me. And I just kept saying postpartum. And he rode that train. He He rode rode that train. And yeah. made me pay. He made me pay for being postpartum. So um, when a year later, after 2019, um, I had started to feel like we were disconnecting and I wasn't happy and I was really out of sorts. Yeah. And um, we get into another argument in the kitchen. And this particular night, my three boys are witnesses to it. And at that stage, they were seven, five and three. My daughter was in bed and it was just one of those things where, you know, he wanted me to come in the kitchen and cook and I was folding laundry and (sighs) normally I don't stand up to him. Normally I just go. Well, I started to kind of get to the point where I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) I'm busy. (laughs) Right. I'll get to that when I, when I want to, but he wanted me to make something for the kids. I said, I already fed the kids dinner. They're not getting another dinner. You know, it's this simple and I'm folding, I'm organizing this. And then it started, you know, well, what the hell do you do all day? These kids are hungry. And I just walked into the kitchen and I said, listen, man, your priority is not my priority. He threw me on the ground 
and oh. proceeded to choke me out again in the same move. And I remember everything this time, Lauren. I remembered everything this time. And he wrestled, he, he did jujitsu moves on me, threw me down on the ground, bruised my chin, wrestled me across the floor until my body gave out because I was fighting him to get off me. And then he choked me out so I couldn't breathe again. And in I just remember looking at him. In, in front, front of, of my people screaming, they screaming, were screaming, screaming. And I couldn't get him off of me. So he chokes me till I can't breathe and I'm closing my eyes. And then um, I just look at him. I just look at him and I, all I see is a devil in his eyes. I mean, they were just as black as black could be. And I thought, he's, he's going to kill me. And then he just got up and he left. And then I ran to my boys and we went into their room and they screamed for hours, is daddy going to kill mommy? So whatever my boys saw that night, um, you know, for weeks, asked me if daddy was going to kill mommy. And now I don't even know at this point in my life that this is the second time this man has tried to kill me. I have no idea. Right. I think, oh, I'm crazy. He's, this is crazy. He's out of control. Now what am I going to do? And I have no family. You know, I had no family here. I I don't have close enough friends because I'm a transplant. You know, I came, Mm -hmm. I've only been here 12 years and all the loyalty is to him. It is. Right. And so, um, and at that point, you're not thinking you're telling everyone about the abuse. So when you're thinking about leaving, right? (laughs) Yeah. You're like, I'm not going to call my friend, my best friend who I've been hiding this from to Mm. go stay with her because I don't know if I want to throw my husband under the bus yet. Makes sense. Am I, am I, am I out or am I out? You know, you have to make the decision. And you got to know when you call the cops, when you call your friends, you got to know you're out. Yeah. Because there's no going back. None. And I had four kids under seven and no, you know, I hadn't worked in 10 years. Um, I knew him. I knew he would make my life a living hell if I left him and I didn't have family to go to. And I did not want to bring our friends into it. And I surely did not want to call the police. Mm. You know? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I wanted to protect him. I wanted to protect him. And, and, uh, and my family, right. Yeah. And this beautiful home, 18 acre home that we had. Mm-hmm. I mean, that night, no victim after they get abused is, is in a place of making wise decisions, especially if they've been being abused for years, they're not right. going to make good decisions. The question of why didn't they leave? Why didn't you call the cops needs to stop being asked because we all know the answers to it. Stop yeah. asking it, you know, yeah. stop asking that question, man. We know why they, they make it impossible. And now we know when you finally do decide to leave, yeah, they're going to make it much, much, much worse, much worse than having stayed in that life, in that life and in that marriage with him would have been a better choice at this point. And that's the sad reality of a lot of women in this country right now. <clears throat> so that was a year, uh, a year later. And at that point I thought, well, I can leave him or I can just shut up and never make him that mad again and raise my kids. Yeah. So I decided to shut up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I can't believe I did that. But um, I just thought I'll never get him there again. I'll never make him that mad again. And so I tried that for a year. <laughs> and yeah. I look back at that year as wow. Um, it was torture, you know, because I understood the danger at that point. I couldn't deny that he was a danger. Um, and I was fearful for my children. And as we all know, even in a normal relationship, your children trigger your husband and your children trigger you. 
Course, and then yeah. you end up irritated with each other, right? Um, so imagine that times 10 because right. he's an abusive man. And now I'm a woman who is trying to keep this man, abusive man at bay. Yeah. And not only his anger towards me, but anything my children might do to trigger him. And managing that dance on a daily basis with someone as erratic and unpredictable as him was torture. Um, you know, and any time that I felt an escalation in him, I immediately went to my children and was like, you go here and you do this. And, and you know, and then over accommodating your children so they're not triggered to trigger him. Sure. Yes. You got to make sure they're fed. And oh, if one of them starting to have a fit or they're fighting over a toy, I was like, oh, my God, please don't. Daddy's yeah, gonna get I know like little, like random kid stuff that all kids do would all kids of, do. Yeah. Make you but very my poor kids are being yeah. held to a different standard. Just exactly. like I was right. Just okay. like I was, you know, no, we don't do that. Daddy's going to be home. Pick this up. Hide this. Don't do that. Don't yeah. say this. Yeah. You know, I mean, and it was so, um, I look back now at the kind of mom I had to be to them and it breaks my heart because they couldn't be free either. Yeah. And I did, I couldn't let them be free. So right. I was neurotic and nervous and anxious all the time with them. And I mean, I was still an amazing mom, but I just, I did everything I could to keep things perfect. Yeah. And f for all intents and purposes, that's what my kids thought. Mm -hmm. Everything was perfect. Of course. Um, you but, did a good job of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. I held it together for as long as I could. I, I mean, I really did. And I can say that now without the shame that he made me live with. Of how good, because I doubted that for a long time. I doubted even going through therapy for the past two years. I doubted how good was I, you know, maybe I wasn't and maybe I was and oh my gosh. And um, yeah, so gaslighting. I guess I'm wondering, and I know that you're probably about to get to this, but I'm thinking in my head that maybe the last straw for you was during the pandemic when you guys were in the house together and you couldn't leave or am I right? right? Am I wrong? Right. I know I'm just thinking like, Oh my God, where is this going? But yeah. So yeah. continue. <laughs> um, so, um, after that year, another year goes by and a lot of women who are in abusive relationships will tell you, we come to identify their cycle. Yeah. And I don't right. know what a regular cycle would be. I think it can be six months to a year, two months. I don't know. I think every guy or, or even when I know women abuse too, I'm not trying yeah. to be sexist or biased, but, um, he, he had a year, another year had gone by and I saw it coming. I saw the behaviors that I had now seen associated with the physical abuse. Mm. And, um, he would just come home more often angry and more often not the happy guy. And, and be triggered much more quickly and, um, and with much more intensity as certain um, months had come around. And a lot of times that was in December and January when bonuses were happening and money was an issue. And, okay. and so I started to see that. And, um, and he started yelling uh, one night, he yelled at my three-year-old daughter, um, get the fuck out of my face, take my, take the fucking iPad and fucking go. Daddy had a bad fucking day. Oh gosh. My three-year-old daughter in front yeah. of me and mother. His mother? My other kids and his mom. Oh yeah. His mom's a whole nother story, but. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Wow. This. <laughs> yeah. They enable, they enable these guys. Yeah. They are their biggest fans. Absolutely. They are their biggest I mean, fans. she, I would think that if my son said, I mean, that's, that's a horrible thing to say. Um, she didn't, she didn't flinch or. 
No, but he had he had done that to her in front of me. You know, he had yelled at her the same way. In oh, front of me. okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. and his okay. sister, his, right. his sister is close in age to us. They had had physical a physical argument in front of me before I married him, which I should have known. But he did right. the same thing to her. You know, they, when you go through therapy, they talk about the red flags that you see. <laughs> I mean, an adult man getting in a fight with his adult sister physically sister, is physical. is very strange, but very strange okay so he's yeah. stressed he's you know it's, it's 2020 yeah. at this point okay yeah yeah, yeah. uh well this is 2021 so oh, 20, 19, okay. 2019 is the first physical abuse uh, about a year later there's another incident that i remember and can recall and then a year later i'm seeing this is coming again and and i was worried at that point it was going to be on my oldest son or or me at that point I started really oh, worrying about the kids. you and at this point um, he hadn't touched the kids he had not no. yes but you no. got through the pandemic you're all okay yeah but you well, sense, and I was, yeah. I, we we're starting to we were starting a business together at this point okay um because I was actually starting to come into my you know my kids were getting older I was starting to feel the need to achieve again and have my yes. own thing and I also yes. was realizing his control of me and I was not liking it and I thought mm-hmm. I finally had some breathing room to do my thing and, um, and so we actually partnered into a, a direct to consumer produce business because what he does is, you know, he's, he's shipping national truckloads full everywhere, international. That's what his company does. But I wanted to bring something more, um, fresher produce more quickly to the, to the central coast specifically, but also some other parts of the States. And so he, you know, he's like, figure out how to do direct consumer, um, produce delivery. I was like, okay. And he's like, I'll be your supplier. I'm like, okay. So I did it. Yeah. I did Great. it. I started a business. Wow. Okay. This, you know? Yeah. Um, and so we were, we were, we were kind of, we were in a parallel path, but I was trying, I was really planning my escape is yes. really what I was doing. I didn't know it. Right. Um, but he sure wouldn't let me do that either because he en- ends up taking control of the business with his father and they cut me out of that. Which oh my story. gosh. Wow. Whole okay. Another story. Okay. It's another example of his coercive control while the relationship was occurring. Um, and so, so yeah, so, um, when I noticed that he was escalating again and I felt the physical abuse was probably going to happen again, I started to plan my, my exit. And I, when I say plan it, knowing what I know now, I wasn't, I wasn't planning it at all. I just thought I was going to get out and he would let me. And, um, so when I addressed him about, uh, the divorce and asking, uh, to, you know, for the divorce and telling him I wasn't happy anymore and I wanted to leave and it, you know, the night I said, the night you choked me, I just, I can't get past it. I just can't. Yeah. And, uh, and from there, <laughs> go figure. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, uh, and he, I could see his head spin when I said, I'm leaving you because of abuse. I could see him freak out hmm. um, because now he had a story to cover. He's and freaking he out for himself. Yeah. And for his reputation. Yeah. He was not worried about me. He was not worried about losing me. He was worried about his money and he was worried about the story. Cause he said, what are you going to tell, what are we going to tell people? I, I, and this is the first time I'm looking at my husband saying, I want to leave you. And he said, well, what are we going to tell people? Well, I don't <laughs> really know yet. I'm just telling you for the first time. Yeah. Right. 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 What? So he wants the story. He wanted the story developed. He wanted to know what are we going with? Okay. Wow. Cause we weren't going to tell anyone he abused me. Right. Wow. And I'm just like, I don't know. Uh, and I knew what I was going to tell people the yeah. truth. Yeah. And he knew that too. So um, about five days after I asked for the divorce, he serves me with a restraining order. What? 
Now he takes the night of 2019 when I have a breakdown. Okay. And he uses it as his declaration. And then he convinces, and this is where the story gets really unbelievable. He convinces people who were closest to me to testify against me. Oh, no. After, because remember, he serves me with a restraining order, and I am literally removed from my home within five minutes after 10 years of being the caretaker of my children. So you were five, five days. I'm just trying to just say this. Yeah, five days, five days after you said, I want a divorce, he serves you with a restraining order um, that comes from your local police, I assume. And they they physically come to remove you from your house. And where are the kids at this point? The kid, well, he had set it up. And let me back up because another important factor in his motivation and his motive for destroying me was we had gone to mediation. You know, he he was like, let's not get lawyers. Let's settle this with my father, who was a CPA. Um, And I was like, okay, knowing all the while, I'm going to probably have to get a lawyer because he's going to take advantage of me. I already know that. And I'm like, okay. And I'm trying to play it so that he doesn't go crazy on me because I'm like, He's going to try to destroy me. Right. So I'm like, okay, sounds good. You know, I'll go along with whatever you want. Well, we go to mediation. He finds out he's going to have to pay me $10,000 a month and that I'm not really keen on 50-50 custody because he works full time and I knew his mother and nanny would be raising the children. So when I expressed to him that 50-50 might not be what I was going to go with, mm-hmm. five days later, he serves me with a restraining order. Okay. So he didn't want to pay. He didn't want to uh, feel that he had less custody than you. And now you are being physically removed from your house because I'm trying to understand what the purpose of the restraining order is. He's saying you're a danger to him and the children. Yes. And this is where we get into the family court system. Okay. You are literally guilty until proven innocent. Wow. That's how the family court system works. For everybody, anybody can walk up and say they want to put a restraining order on somebody. You got to wait two months and then you go to court and you fight it and you hope you win and you hope you have money for an attorney to fight it. Right. The allegations. Um, so, yeah. So he he serves me with a restraining order. I mean, I am I am at my home. Thank God I had a friend there and I had no idea what what is I can't read this. I'm shaking. I'm traumatized. Yeah. I have no idea what's happening. Is he taking my children? What is this about? I couldn't read it. I couldn't make yeah. sense of it. Yeah. I had friends who had written, friends who had written false stuff about me to get the kids removed from me. Um, I, I mean, I was in disbelief. Mm. I'm leaving an abusive marriage and he now has my children, custody of my children saying I'm a danger. And, and you know, I know I, at this point when he serves me through restraining order, my debt, my, my mental health, uh, I guess we'll call it a decline because I'm a person who I am normally, I was not, oh, did I break up? Yeah, you Um, broke up. I was saying your mental health, you knew that it was going to decline. Right. The degradation of my mental health, I knew was 100% of what I had been going through with this man and having children, right? Yeah, of course. Um, And lack of sleep and stuff. And so I just couldn't, um, understand I could not wrap my brain around how this man had gone gone a restraining order against me but again he had threatened in the past to use that breakdown against me they'll never give you your, our kids he, he would say stuff like that to me 
So, um, I, what, uh, I guess what, what did your friends have to gain or what did they by by corroborating his story? I guess I'm trying to understand in a matter of, let's say a week, he had managed to turn some of your friends against you. Like, how did that, how did that well, work? This is, this is where it gets juicy. This is yeah, where it gets okay. juicy. Okay. And a little, a little, um, unbelievable yeah. uh, unbelievable but it would it will make sense because this happens everywhere it's a small town um he had convinced them that I had been having an affair for three years oh god while I was pregnant with my daughter which is mm-hmm. I mean this is not true I was not <laughs> having an affair ever I was barely sleeping I was barely say, having sex four with kids like I was I'm barely alive. having sex with him yeah I like, was gonna Hey, what? That's like for an That's affair. the most, especially when you're pregnant See, with like your I'm fourth like, really? kid. I mean, that's dumb as hell. Sorry, that's. But so they dumb. wanted they they bought into it. They bought into it because this was uh, he was my trainer. He was a big, good-looking black guy. He, um, you know, he had this reputation around town. So everybody wanted the story because mm. nobody wanted to believe that he was an abuser. Mm-hmm. nobody wanted, and I went to these friends that, that ended up writing. I went to them the week before I told Garrett, I was going to leave him. And I said, he, he, he choked me last year. I cannot do this anymore. It is, you know, blah, 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 blah. blah. And, and they all just kind of looked at me like, no, like not a big deal. Oh, and I was boy. like, no, he chokes me out in front of my kids. Like, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I, I remember looking at them, like thinking, I don't think they understand. But I never thought these friends would then say, well, you're the, you're crazy and you need to be away from your children. They had come to part. I mean, Lauren, I was the mom who had the birthday parties, right? I mean, to mm. the nines with yeah. the cake, the, the three tiered cake with the theme and the favors and the pinata and the bag for the pinata and the yeah. food. And so these are people who have spent 10 years in my home watching me raise my children and raise their children. That's disgusting. Never had a con- I, never I had any say, concerns. I'm disgusted. That's never had any concerns with me then when they were coming to my pool parties. Right. <laughs> but now all of a sudden, you're gonna take my kids from me because he says I'm having sex with uh, uh, my trainer. And this is a racist town too, by the way. So okay. it got around town that you know this was happening, and it was like, oh. Okay. She's a black guy. She's right. a black, right? Wow. So, okay. and, and he was my trainer for so long that we were friends. And so everybody just was like, oh, yeah, of course, you yeah, know, whatever. So, mm-hmm. anyway, he wrote that story and he wrote that out to as part of the smear campaign, which is also part of what happens in this situation, too. So, right. so he, he showed private videos off of my iPad to people that he had of me to say, like, oh, look at her. She's so crazy. Um, lingerie photos showing them to parents oh, at the wow. at friday night lights practices and in football parties the whole community is going over to his house looking at videos of me to prove that i'm crazy and then you know he sees he said she is she's um not taking prescribed medication which is not true she's addicted to cocaine that was another smear campaign now i've never even seen cocaine i was in the military <laughs> for eight years yeah i was gonna say oh i mean gosh. i don't even and he knew, he knew that about me. He knew I was never, ever into drugs. Like, no. 
Shelby, and, let um, me just ask you really quick. Sorry to interrupt the videos. What, what were, were you possibly doing on these videos that he was trying to make you look crazy? So one of the, one of the incidences that I told you about, or so on two, in 2019, I wasn't going to go into this because it's so convoluted and it yeah. starts to make me sound crazy. Um, and it's, it's a little bit of my privacy. So maybe this is something you do or don't want to use. So we could talk okay. about it, but, um, one of a couple, the couple days after that first incident where I had the, the breakdown, yeah, my friend came over and I didn't know this at the time either, which is another reason I thought I was crazy. And we were talking about the night and, you know, I was just, we were hanging out and talking and we were um, doing some gardening together. And I was like, gosh, my neck is so messed up. Like, I don't know what happened. You know, I'm like, I have this knot right here and whatever, whatever. Well, she reached to grab me. Yeah. And feel it, right? And she pushed on the spot. Well, it's a trauma response. I had no idea. And I snap again because I don't want her to touch me. Yeah. So she videos it. She videos the breakdown per my ex-husband's request. So you, he she reached to touch you and you kind of jumped snapped. and snapped, freaked. And she yes. was recording the whole time? Well, so what, ha what happened, and you know, I'm not, I'll give you as many details as you want, but mm. um, she was with me, he was at work and she called her husband, who was a good friend of ours family. He was our NICU doctor for my daughter. Wow. He comes over and I'm, I'm out of sorts. I'm out. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm out of sorts. I'm get off me, get off. Don't touch me. This is, you know, I mean, I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm being attacked again, which right. at that time you have to remember, this is all my hindsight of therapy. Mm. right right N now back yeah. then I'm okay. like I'm crazy you thought I'm, you were crazy, crazy. Mm -hmm. and um yeah man so I just they call the doctor he comes my he calls my ex-husband my ex-husband says I'll be there in a minute video it oh gosh okay got Which, it now, now I get it yeah now I get it that's I mean I'm I'm shocked that that your friends actually listened and yeah. videoed it because I, yes. for one, would have to say that feels extremely inappropriate to video right. someone who's going through something. Right. Um, but he clearly knew in his head, and this is this is me processing it right now. I think deep down he knows and knew the type of woman that you are and that you are not going to let this happen for your entire life. I think he, he somewhat knew that you might leave at some point and he needed to begin oh, the case. He was preparing for that forever. If she, Absolutely. in his head, if she ever leaves me Absolutely. and he, he and his dad, his dad, then financially made sure of that. Yes. 100%. Yeah. And I didn't know at that point, he knew what had happened five days prior. Right. Mm -hmm. He knew yeah. he had choked me in front of my kids and almost killed me. Right. And he made sure the story he created in my head, the narrative was that I was crazy. So when this video or when this opportunity comes four days later, instead of being a loving, caring husband who's concerned about his wife, he comes home and I am in a chair. The police are there, you know, because I couldn't calm down. I mean, it, it's like it looks like a psychotic a trauma response. looks like a psychotic breakdown. Okay. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's yeah. 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 Okay. And um. And so I'm just like sitting there, like shaking, you know, like my body's in trauma, I, you know, and he's standing there and he, I said, baby, I need you, baby. I'm, you know, I'm terrified. Yeah. And he stands like probably 50 feet from me and he goes, fuck you, Shelby. What the fuck did you take this time? 
Wolf and I'm screaming, I didn't take anything. What are you talking about? And they had taken four days prior. They had taken all my medication saying I was abusing drugs. And I'm like, I'm not abusing prescription drugs. Like you all know this, this whole family came in dumping stuff, making me feel like a crazy woman. And when, what year was that when they, well, that was the, uh, the 2019. Um, so this was all the, part of the whole quote unquote, Shelby's crazy. crazy. She's on, yeah. So he yes. gets you on medication and then like in the first yes. place, and then he accuses you of abusing <laughs> it. And then he calls on his family to start dumping that. Okay. Got it. I'm understanding. Yes. Okay. Yes. And well, his mom okay. came in and, oh, Shelby. I'm, and I'm like, you, you know, your son, your mm-hmm. son has thrown, has yelled in your face the same way I told you he did to me. Anyway. So I, I, you know, and again, you have to remember, I didn't see all this at the time. I just, I rem- I can play it back in my head now and go, oh, they buried the body. Right. They buried the body alive. That's what I say to everyone. So they're burying the body. So fast so, forward now, you, you are removed from your house and you don't have your kids. Now, where did you go and what did you do at this point? Um, well, like I said, my friend was with me and she said, I'm going to go get my husband because they had kids. I'll figure that out. We'll meet you back at this park down the street from my house. And I said, okay. And, um, and so at that point I went across the street to a friend and she wasn't there. And I mean, I'm just shaking and I, I, I I couldn't call my family at this point either. Cause I didn't, I didn't, I I needed somebody with me, you know, cause I couldn't make sense of anything. And so at that point I call my trainer, who's the only person on my side at this point, right? Okay. Who he claimed I'd had an affair with, but he's okay. my only friend. He's my only little friend at this point. Mm-hmm. And he knew, you know, I had trained with him for four days a week for four or five years with my kids there and everything. Yeah. Yeah. He knew some of the, the, he didn't know. He knew there was, I came to him the night after the abuse. I remember. And I was like, yeah, man, he threw me down last night and you know, whatever. So he kind of knew there was this thing. But he was never the guy I was like, oh, I'm so sad. You know, I don't know what to do. I just oh, my husband right. and I, maybe when I should have sex. But mm-hmm. like, that was not where I was at with this guy. Right, right. He was like a brother to me, you know. So, um, so anyway, he kind of knew. And so anyway, when I called him, I was like, he just this and that. He was, he was, he was in on what had kind of been going on. Okay. So he came and I'm like, I don't, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do or, you know, whatever. We have the whole breakdown. My friends come call my family. What we're all like, what, you know, your family must Um, have been like, what is happening? Yeah. They probably were extremely surprised. Um, Well, and when they went through the, she's crazy. So in 2019, when he choked me and then deemed me crazy and he essentially diagnosed me with bipolar, I never get diagnosed with bipolar, but he starts telling everybody I'm diagnosed with it. Okay. So that's what 2019 turned into. Mm. She's bipolar. So my family and I, we just, and I went to a psychiatrist, you know, and I was like, yeah. he's, she's giving me medication. And really, I, we didn't know it at that time, but we were trying to manage an abusive relationship, mm. you know, what that was emotionally doing to me. But I was not forthcoming to my psychiatrist about the abuse till much later. So I he understand. was, yeah, he was medicating me based on symptoms that he thought, he couldn't place, you know? Um, but as we got into a deeper relationship and things got worse with my ex, I started to open up about the abuse. And then he's like, Shelby, this is not bipolar. This is not mood disorder. This is a reaction to being in a really horrible marriage and in an abusive marriage. And I just cried. I just finally admitted it. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, oh my gosh, what have I gotten myself into? And I think that was when I started to, to exit, you know, mentally, like I got to get back. I got to get myself back. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so where does that bring us to now? So, so now, um, I, I then realized he's locked me out of money. Um, he's gotten an attorney. I found out he met with 15 local attorneys to ensure I could not find one, wow. which is unheard. Most of these men will do two or three, you know, the top two or three in the area. I come to find out it was 15 attorneys to ensure that I would lose custody of my children and lose everything. Um, wow. He, he then proceeds to, um, oh, so that was eight weeks. I had to stay on limited visitation. My daughter was three. Oh, um, for eight weeks, I had to stay away from my children and, um, the visitation experience with that and all that tormented my children. Um, I have endless, endless videos of what my kids have been through and me too, where they're on the floor crying. I mean, screaming, I don't want to leave. I guess I'm, I'm trying to also understand the laws in California where you have a 10 year old. He's not quite 12. I think at 12 in a lot of States, they say, you know, you are old enough to tell the yeah. court who you would prefer to live with. Not that, you know, that would be a great situation for him as a 10 year old or 12 year olds, but I would assume that some of this is taken into consideration with maybe DCS or it's not okay. Mm -hmm. like your, your kids. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know. And that's, what's, yeah. that's, what's really but troubling. Like the caseworker doesn't see how much your kids need you and want you. I mean, while they're no. taking all well, their little notes on their clipboard, they don't know that. I mean, that seems a little. Well, absurd. and this is the, this is where we start to peel the onion up. Peeling the onion of the relationship and what I've been through with him is one thing. Peeling the onion on the court system is another. Right. And um, the, what I have come to be exposed to and learn of the court system is that um, one, it's corrupt. Mm -hmm. So whether you think DEFS is going to, um, be in the best interest of your children, not even take your side, right? You're not, oh, I'm okay. You don't take my side. Right. But even if I was the monster he's claiming I am, the fact that this mother, me, has been on supervised visitations for 16 months. Oh, God. 16 months away from my children. They haven't slept at my home. This is they now. This is now. This is now. Oh, God. 16 months ago. And, and I'll go back. He, he serves me with another restraining order. And this time, so the first one he lost. Okay. The first, that first eight okay. weeks. Okay. I go into torment. I, you know, all these people have written stories about me. They got on the stand and lied through their teeth. I mean, lied. Mm. And thankfully I found a good criminal attorney down in LA that came up and won that for me. Great. Okay. Yeah. So I get the kids back 50, 50 custody. He, you know, we, we go back to nesting into the home together, which is torture. Um, but that's all oh, supposed to gosh. be part of, it's supposed to be part of the settlement, right? Okay. For the divorce. So the house is still in contingent in, in, in contention between the two of us. I don't want to leave. He doesn't want to leave. So fine. We'll, we'll split this. The judge rules that we do 50, 50 and we nest. So the kids stay, he leaves. I come, I leave. He comes. Okay. That makes sense. Got that's it. Okay. Next. Okay. Not Got he's it. there on there. Got it. Um, which sounds like it should kind of get you through, but it was hell because he was still busy. He was still sending me messages on, have you heard of the OFW? It's like yeah. the divorce. Um, 
<laughs> so cliche, but it's, it's uh, our family wizard. And when you get into a high conflict divorce, they make you communicate on a recording app, which is email. Oh. And it's called our family wizard. Okay. So okay. We, we were I required because okay. we couldn't, we couldn't communicate. Yeah. Scared yeah. Scared of me and you know, so we do this on uh, OFW, which is supposed to be documentation for court as well. Mm-hmm. Right. It's supposed to be evidence. You can use it and you know, everybody knows this is public. Our lawyers see it. Anyone can see it. Okay. If we, if we wanted to put it into court. So anyway, he would harass me on OFW. I would leave the house and I would get you left the house a mess. The counters are sticky. Why is there dishes still in the dishwasher? I mean, it was the same life. He, he had no shame. Leaving. He had no shame to do this. And he, he thought, well, he thought he was portraying how bad of a person I was because he's so, he's so abusive and okay. psychopath. Okay. Um, he really thought everything he was putting in these document in documentation on these, you know, they, these guys yeah. think if they document it, it's true. <laughs> it's yeah, true okay. all right they really believe that <laughs> narcissist yeah it. geez <laughs> and yeah. I, so I would get letter after letter on email of you know I know you were out here doing this this night and I know you took the kids here and did I mean it was constant and I so I would send all this to my lawyer and be like I need him to stop this is yeah. torture you know this is torture well I had hired a new local attorney just to finish the divorce I got rid of my LA guy to save money yeah. got me out of the restraining order right yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to hire um, a local attorney just to get the financials done and get me away from yeah. this guy. You know, I got the kids now. I just need to get away from him. Well, knowing what I know now in this good old boy town of uh, corrupting the court system, you couple those two things. And then you have his dad, who was a 35 year CPA and this man who is well known within the community. And uh, my yeah. attorney was gaslighting me too. So in Stonewall, I've heard, I've heard this before mm-hmm. and I Absolutely. didn't know it, you know, I thought he was on my side. No, these guys would go to, you know, lunch or coffee and how I'm told it goes down is there's a group of them. And I, you know, I don't know who is or who isn't, but it's, this isn't rocket science. They get together. They see a guy with money who wants to put their ex through hell and yeah. take their kids and make sure they keep their money. And they look at all your financials and go, how long can we ride this out? And then they fold that money in to the family court system. And when it gets really bad, when everybody's trying to figure out when it gets really bad, and I'm not saying this is happening in my case, but that's how the laundering of money is happening to, to, to traffic children. The family court system has a shield in front of them. I can't even get my story exposed. How in God's name are we going to get it exposed that this is how the family court system is selling kids. I, um, it's, it's very interesting that you say that I've, um, I've actually heard this recently and I don't Mm want to say that it went in one ear and out the other, but it was so horrifying that I just chose to compartmentalize it, I guess. Um, so now that you're, you're saying it for a second time, maybe I should take it back out. Um, but so, (laughs) Okay. So at this point, I'm trying to get your story. Yeah, so know, at I'll this point, you guys are nesting, but he's making your life hell. You oh. have a lawyer that is not doing right by you. And it's very right. obvious. And then what happened? Well, at this point, it wasn't that obvious because I ended up okay. staying with him for a year. I, he, he, he worked me over too. He, okay. he, he manipulated me. Um, and I was, 
I was in a traumatized state of mind, meaning, so as, as I've experienced trauma and I have a background in mental health, so I understand what's happening to me a little differently than most women would. And I can articulate it differently because I do understand what happens to your mind when you are traumatized. Mm. And so what it started steadily happening is my executive functioning was shutting down. And so as, I mean, if you can imagine a prisoner of war, right? Yeah. If you're, if you're threatened for your life, the last thing you're thinking about is eating or, you know, if you're being chased by a lion, you're not thinking about your next meal. No. So your brain shuts down to how do I survive? Not how do I, how do I read this document and articulate myself to my lawyer? You know, you just want somebody to handle it. Sure. And so, whereas an executive officer in the military would handle it, a traumatized victim of abuse is on the ground saying yeah. help, you know, that was my mind. So I would be sitting there present with him and trying to make sense of what he was telling me and trusting him and following his lead because I don't understand the law. I don't even understand what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. And then um, he would, you know, whatever he was doing behind the scenes, it was it was really just to keep the wheel spinning. It was really just to keep me in the system. And this is what's scary about the family court system and how they end up tying you in is there's delay tactics they can use where um, they all of a sudden are sick. And the courts are all behind because of COVID still. Right. How long has COVID been over? Three, four, yeah. five years? What are right, we on now? Right, exactly. We're still, we're, still, we're still backlogged. Yeah. People are still fat and the courts are still backlogged because of COVID. That's what right. everybody thinks. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. And I'm a trainer, so I can say that. because Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. No, it's COVID, okay. It's, it's okay. Okay. Anyway, I digress. But uh, I just, so I just, you know, it'll push it two months. Um, so anything that they come up with, so they have, they have disqualified judges uh, at the last minute. Mm. Uh, this is how they keep me from getting from, in front of a judge. So it's, they create false allegations via um, informal letters through attorney, the other attorney. So I've been getting opposing counsel letters saying, we have reason to believe you're doing cocaine. <laughs> you need to do you need to do a 15 panel drug test before we'll even talk to you about letting you have your kids back. A 15 what? Sorry. 15 panel drug test, which is the hair follicle test. Oh, okay. <laughs> because they had reason to wow. believe. Okay. I was doing cocaine. So this is also how our family court system is getting away with violating civil rights. Because although it's not a judge, right? Mm. The attorneys have the power. And the attorneys aren't being held accountable. So his attorney has continuously, which is why I reached out to you. And this is what I want the American public to understand. My story is one thing, but my story, right, Lauren, is a dime a dozen. Mm. And nobody cares anymore. They don't. And it's kind of like what you're saying. It's, it's cognitive dissonance. It's, I would rather not know this is happening in our world because yeah. then I'm forced to do something. And I am guilty of it too, because if I wasn't in this system and stuck in it, and I've been forced to face what it is doing in our country to the American people and children, I couldn't stop. I'm like, I can't turn my head anymore because although my children are being trafficked, I can see how quickly they could be gone. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, I am, I, I am. I am subject to that risk right now. 
that DFS will come into that home because there's been a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. DFS has had to get involved. My daughter has made, this is that we're going to fast forward, but my daughter's made um, allegations of sexual abuse in oh, front of wow. my supervisor, in front of my supervisor. My supervisor has done two reports to DFS and I've gotten nothing. This was a year ago. Your five-year-old daughter, what, made sorry, what did she say that made you, uh, first um, so, so she was showing up pretty regularly with, um, an irritated anus oh. and I just thought, and I, and it may be, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. <laughs> I have to be careful of that. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. I thought he does not, he doesn't realize you've got to bathe the girl. you got to bathe the dog. you got to bathe her. Yes. Right. You have like, to wash your children. Yes. Or they have to know to wash yeah. themselves. Yes. The boys, you, you could probably throw them in the shower and they'll figure it out. Yes. But she's three, four, you know, um, she's sitting in the bathtub. So she would come and it would be really irritated and red. And so I would, I mean, during a visit with a supervisor, my supervisors yeah. are seeing this, right? Yeah. So my poor baby, like I'm fixing her and you know, it hurts, it hurts. She would come to me, it hurts, hurts. And I'd be like, okay. So then I started noticing she was kind of red on her vagina a couple of times. And I'm like, and she would complain, you know, that she was hurting. And so I would, I would call the supervisor in because I'm the one who can't touch my daughter. Okay. In yeah. Private. Yeah. Right. I got to call the supervisor in and I, you know, I'm looking and my poor daughter, you know, she doesn't want me, she, you know, you're, 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 Really, you're spreading your four-year-old apart yeah. to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. And she's traumatized. I'm traumatized. Uh, you know. So anyway, she she says, um, "I said, is anybody? You know, I've always been really transparent with my kids. Like nobody touches you. This is your penis. This is your vagina. This is your yes. anus. Like this is how we talk. Mm -hmm. Nobody touches you there unless mommy. It's mommy or daddy. You know, we we give you baths. We do this. Nobody touches you there. If anybody ever tries to touch you there, you know, I want you to tell mommy." So I, baby girl, is any, you know, is somebody touching you? Is anyone touching What is going on? Like, is something going on, you know? And she says, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, they're touching my butt. And I'm like, who baby? Who's, you know, ah, she's screaming. I don't want, you know, they don't, she doesn't want to talk about it. And so she couldn't tell me, she didn't tell me who, but the way it came out was that there was pr probably like older boys for, you know, Older boys, like yeah. football team boys. And um, uh, so you mean like 12 or like 10 or what I don't do you, know. You I don't you know. know. Okay. Just kind of what I put together. It's like, okay, I know my ex-husband and I know the way he, we used to have pool parties and fo the football team would come over. Well, you know, us moms would be with the kids watching what's going on and, yeah. you know, bringing, you know, just making sure stuff's dying. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was having more bachelor parties because now we're not together. And a lot of the single dads would bring their sons over. And even some couples would come over too with their older sons who play football. And I just, I don't know what was going on over there. I, I'm not there, but I know mm. how, how he is. And he's, he doesn't pay attention. And he would send my daughter in and say to her brothers, take care of your sister, get to take care of your sister, take care. You know, well, these yeah. boys are going in the rooms playing games and, Fortnite and touch this and touch that or whatever. I don't yeah. know, but yeah. something's not right. Something's not right, you know? So, so DFS had to get involved. And um, of course they went into his home, you know, asking him questions and he turned it on me saying I manic. His lawyer wrote me a letter. I may have sent you this one. 
you did that you're obsessed with your daughter's vagina or something and like this that. Is why. Yeah. Yeah. Because my daughter came with, and I have, I have photos and videos or, or not videos, but photos or pictures and her testimony and a, and a witness. This, this isn't a crazy mom trying to get custody, calling DFS saying, my daughter's saying her daddy's abusing her, you know, during my visit. Yeah, this is a, yeah. actually two separate supervisors witnessed my daughter uh, saying this. And this thing that scares me about it is that, well, there's a lot of things, but um, in keeping my head about me is that this claim was made. DFS had already started investigating me and the children for some other uh, calls that had come in in regards to my, my kids saying they had seen daddy throw mommy on the ground. I didn't know those, those reports had been at CPS. I wow. didn't know that until after I started getting reports on my daughter's sexual abuse. And I'm like, Oh my God, DFS knows he's been abusing yeah. me since 2021. Oh. It, parents are calling, you know, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of documentation in, C in DFS already. I didn't know about. Um, and so and I had also called our local domestic violence shelter and said months prior, I need help. Mm -hmm. This is another part of the onion. They couldn't get me in for six months. Wow. That's unacceptable. Stand, stand strong, Lauren. They're called stand strong. Wow. Stand strong for six months. Six On months. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. I was like, what? Anyway, that's a whole nother story. So I had, I had called them and they had to do their own reports because I, I told them the story. I just told you, my kids have witnessed abuse and I was abused. They did their own reports. Well, my report on my abuse gone. Why? I can't find it, Lauren. Why? You tell me. Okay. Yeah. I, I won't speculate, but I'm speculating in my head. Um, well, I'll tell you this. I went to four different police departments including the sheriff. And I have the case number from the caseworker who is a stand strong psychologist that there was a report put into the system to mm -hmm. investigate abuse on me. And it's gone. It's gone. Could your kids, could they go to the current person um, that's involved with the case and reiterate this? Like I did witness this horrible, scary thing. And it really affected me. Cause I feel like what the kids say, like if they have their testimony, that could go a long way. Just they won't put the kids in court. So they won't. Okay. not well, especially as young as they are. I but the other say, thing to know, you go to juvenile court or like, is that, well, we, you know, everybody's trying to figure out how to, how to play this because, <laughs> um, it's corrupt. And so, there's, um, they call them a, what do they call them? Sorry, I'm blanking, but basically it's minors council, right? Okay. So we've tossed minors council back and forth. Well, rumor has it, there's two minor councils here that are corrupt mm. and maybe one that's good, but gosh, if she sides with one or the other, you're done. So well, do I want, do I want minors council involved? I don't know. I, I mean, don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that either, but right. I do, I do want you to go back really quick to what you said. Your daughter said, um, yeah. in front of two different, uh, I think DCS workers or something like that. What did she say that you have 
um, either on video or pictures of or whatever. I think we digressed a bit. She said that they were touching her anus. And she said, um, when I asked her, I said, what do you mean? How are they touching you? She goes, they got like this, like this, like this, like this. Like, and she's like pointing at her vagina and this guy's seeing it. And I'm like, are you seeing this? What is, what does she mean? Her, right. she's got redness. She's got, what does this mean? And I am literally 10 minutes away from sending her out the door to go back to her dad. Yeah. The visit's yeah. over. And my daughter is divulging now. And I am in a, um, micro, I'm under a microscope, right? Yeah. And I'm being accused of being manic and I'm being accused of, cre of harassing him. Mm. with my concerns of my children yeah. and I don't know I don't know what happened I still to this day Lauren don't know what happened I can't talk to my children because I have a supervisor sitting here and if I ask my kids what the hell is going on because we've always had an open relationship like I am very you know authentic with my kids like mm -hmm. this is not something my kids would even think for one second is okay unless he has neglected them so badly that other people are showing them that things are okay to do that aren't. I can't imagine it. I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. A hundred percent. And, and you, I am in denial, of course, right? Of course, of course. I am not going to believe that. Um, and I can't. I said, I'm going to CPS to find out what's going on. My lawyer said, don't do it. They're going because they're going to say I'm harassing him. I was, was going to say they're going to accuse you of more craziness and more yes. manicness because you are saying, okay, well now I'm hearing this. So that's a really tough spot, Shelby, where you, you kind of appear manic because your daughter is telling you something or you notice something isn't right, or you feel that she's not being well taken care of. I, oh, well, I as, as a mother, I completely understand all those feelings. And I'm just going to echo this because again, as a mother, and I, I truly believe you can really only understand this if you have your own kids. And I don't want anyone to take any offense to that, but there's, they're essentially a piece of you, right? And you really truly seem like an amazing mom who truly cares. And so anything that I feel like if I were to look at my kid and if I even saw a scratch on him or something, and I, let's say I went away, he's with my parents. I, I would feel some type of way that I couldn't, you know what I mean? I would feel helpless. I'd feel horrible. It's just a scratch. But I would think to myself, well, what happened? Were you crying? Were you upset? Were you like, well, did someone, right. you know, take care of you and hug you? And so I completely understand if you, maybe it was a bit of a diaper rash she had or whatever it was. First thought is that no. she's, she's mm -hmm. not being taken care of, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I'm just right. saying, well, yeah, and that, like, you know, at the beginning, when she was showing up with an irritated anus at the beginning, yeah. I was like, he's, he's not bathing her. Like, right. and that's frustrating enough as a mama who's been taking care of her kids for 10 years. That's frustrating yeah. and makes you angry that, you know, she was showing up with dried poop on her butt. <laughs> Sorry. I know. I, yeah, that's like, it's, it's exactly. Yes. But to <laughs> the visit, to the, I mean, I know that happens sometimes with our kids, but right. to the visit. To the bit and the week prior, we had just had an incident with her and the sexual stuff. And he sends her to my house with the dried shit the next week. And I'm like, we're sorry, I didn't mean to say, but no, we it's just okay. I, it's we just okay. talked about her vagina last week. But I'm the crazy right. one, you know. The... And I'm looking at the supervisor like so she's all irritated again. She's all irritated again, and now there's dry poop on her. So let me let's just fast forward to now and to today and tell me what's going on today after all of this, you've been going back and forth. Um, 
Now tell me where you're yeah. at. Well, I think it's important to note how I got on supervised visits, right? Because okay. everyone oh, yes. is thinking no mother gets supervised visits unless she deserves it. Um, well, so, you know, he, he's always been trying to set me up. So like I would go to football games and he would like girls he was dating or talking to would come up and try to confront me and like get me to, and I was like, just leave me alone, you know? And they this is why you're nesting. While you're nesting. This is why we're nesting. Yeah. He was setting me up with all kinds of stuff, you know, just trying to set me up constantly, stalking me, harassing me, saying he knew where I was spending money and who I was with and, you know, whatever. Um, so it's just a torturous year. And so I go to a Friday night football practice and he gives my daughter his phone. And at this point it has been rumored that he is sleeping with one of my best friends, best friends, another one who decides to betray me. And, um, I, my daughter comes to my car with his phone and I'm like, Oh, she has his phone. Hmm. I want to know if my friend is doing this because this is, I don't care about him anymore, but my friend yeah. really. And there had been um, rumors that she had stayed overnight with her kids at their, at the house. And I was like, I just want to know, you know, I just need to know how bad she's betrayed me. Cause I, everyone at this point has been turning on me. And I'm like, is it another one? Is it another friend? And um, so I start reading the text on his phone and sure enough, you know, she has stayed there. There's pictures of them all having breakfast at the table and uh, the whole thing. And then them talking about me and that I've lost all logical sides of my brain. And he's, he's playing her, you know, and she's mm -hmm. like, oh, I know. And I just, cause I texted her and said, I heard you stayed overnight, you know, and she's like, I'm not, I don't have energy for this, you know? So we had already, she had already denied, you know, been like, yeah. I'm not telling you. And I was like, okay, yeah. well, let's see how bad this is. Well, of course I'm upset, you know, I'm mad. I'm, I'm pretty mad. And, yeah. um, and so I, my long story short, he realizes that I had had the phone. Another friend shows up at the practice that knows what's going on. And she is a best friend of mine. Or so I thought. Um, and she had testified against him in the first restraining order hearing. This, okay. this friend. Okay. okay. This is juicy. This is juicy. <laughs> <laughs> so that she had started to side with him. And the reason I will tell you she sided with him is because my ex-husband threatened to not put her son on the Friday Night Lights football team that he coached, which is the championship team, Warren. Well, when I she mean, heard what that. what is her son, like 10? Uh-huh. Oh. But he's autistic, and she wanted him on the special football team. You're, that is so uncool of your husband. That is some BS oh, he, he, right he, he did it to multiple people. She's not the only one. He threatened another friend. Um. Ooh, Imagine that's your power, like a peewee football uh -huh. team. That's pathetic. Uh -huh. Sorry, I'll just say uh -huh. that on record. Uh -huh. But people Go are, exert your power, like people. But people are are falling right into it. That's unreal. what surprises me mm. is that that was more important to her than me being with my children. Wow, it was more important to her. Anyway, um, so she walks up, and I'm already kind of angry at her because she's sided with him. But we were still cordial for the sake of the football games right mm -hmm. like hey hey yeah oh good to see you yeah my daughter wants candy you got candy whatever yeah <laughs> well so she shows up and I'm like hey uh or no she shows up I have just read these messages and I walk over to her and I'm like are you kidding me and she's like what it was so-and-so's party I didn't have anything to do with she knew right away I didn't have anything to do with it. I'm like are you serious though are you really serious you guys do you even know what's happening you know and I'm like you don't even know what he's doing. You know, he abused me. You know, he choked me. She's like, you never told me that. Mm. I never told you he choked me. We're going with that story now, Kim. That's what we're going with. So now I'm being gaslit. By my best yeah. 
Yeah. And I was at my wit's end. I was at my wit's end. And so I, I, I got upset, but I didn't, I didn't yell at my kids. No, I didn't touch anybody. Mm -hmm. I didn't bear. I barely yelled at my ex-husband. I didn't even yell at him. Actually. He came over and was like, give me my phone. And I was like, you know, you gave the phone to Evie because he acted like I stole his phone. I was like, you gave the phone to our daughter. I didn't steal your phone. He was making a scene though. You know, give me my phone. And I was like, here, you know, I didn't have whatever. An hour later, I get a phone call from the police. They want my version. Well, this is this is about the sixth time that the police have called why me. Is the, why are the police involved with a, a spat you had with your friend? The police? Well, my ex, because my ex-husband wanted to make sure they were involved. Oh my he gosh. Wanted, he set me up with it. He gave he gave that phone twice to my daughter. One time he realized that she had left it with me and he gave it back to her that day. I really hope that you're not about to tell me that you lost your kids for like yelling at your friend. Disturbance of the peace. Oh my God. And violation of privacy. They took my kids for three years. <gasps> oh three my years. Gosh. They put my children on a three-year restraining order for a disturbance of his peace and a violation of his privacy because I forwarded an email to my attorney and we couldn't deny that. Like it happened and we had to say we did it. And that, that, you know, my bad. Oh, so you went into his email and forwarded it to your attorney. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. All right. Well, you know what, Shelby, I'm going to, nobody's perfect. Um, especially (laughs) in an instance, like what you've been going through for the last four years. So I I don't want to say like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I'm sure you thought you were obviously doing something that would oh, better your case was, by getting, you know, yeah. like, I'm sure I mean, that's what you thought. Clearly, so. clearly, clearly not the right thing to do. I mean, we oh. can't deny that I can just do whatever I want. However, mm-hmm. my children, my yeah. children, you can protect him all you want. Mm-hmm. But my kids who I've been with for 10 years. And not only that, you put me on supervised visits for it. Yeah. Supervised visits. And then you leave me on it for 16 months. There are meth heads. There are child molesters. There are abusive parents with scars on kids that have access to their children. So we're violating my eighth amendment right now with cruel and unusual punishment. Because if you compare any other case that has something similar to um, the crime, the violation, Mm. I guarantee they weren't put on supervised visits for 16 months and still not given their children and then told they needed to take a drug test. Even though the restraining order wasn't based on drugs, Lauren, I was never, I was never, it was never proven that I was doing drugs. It was never proven I abused my kids. Yeah. Never proven I molested my kids. Never right. proven that I've done. I mean, it's not been proven, but I mean, punished. And that is my concern with how the family court system does business. And they don't want it exposed and they don't want it changed because underneath this is, is something really, really, really ugly. And I believe that to be true. Now I didn't at first, I was like, you, I was like, no, but because of the situation, man, I have, I reached out to other women in my situation. Mm -hmm. I have reached out to support groups. I have reached out to advocates and I'm learning. I'm just learning about, you know, and I'm like, you can't deny it. And I'm in the threshold of, you know, not being in the system and the system completely ruining my life. I'm, I'm like on a cusp right now, which is the desperation yeah. I feel because um, as of recently, 
my um, attorneys, my my most recent attorneys, yeah, um, who I thought were a powerhouse out of LA that would come up in here and expose it all, everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can no longer pay them. So I think I'm over 300, 400 grand into this and um, oh they've removed goodness. themselves from counsel. And I have to pay a thousand dollars a week to see my children. I'm paying a, a, a supervisor. I pay her $75 an hour to babysit me with my kids to make sure oh. I'm not hurting my children. So how, how often do you get to see your kids at this point with a supervisor? The court order, which was initiated 16 months ago, hasn't been changed, which is also crazy. Yeah. Um, every Tuesday and Thursday from 12 to 7. And then every other Sunday from 12 to 7. And now it's misleading. Um, that's not even very much time. But no. I've hardly gotten that over the course of this year and a half because the kids' schedules. Of course. Um, they gave me that schedule while the kids were in school. Well, all my kids were on alternating schedules, right? So my kindergartner was out at, let's say 12. Yeah. So I would get my, you know, I would get my son and my daughter who was out of preschool, but I had to wait to see the other two kids till three 30. Right. So I wasn't getting to see my kids from 12 to seven. No, that seems odd. I was actually just thinking that I'm like, why wouldn't they do a Saturday 12 to seven? And then like a Tuesday for, you know what I mean? From three 30 to nine, or I don't know, that just seems very odd now. Nothing. So mm. you, um, I, I want to ask, did you submit this drug test? And, and I'm, I'm assuming. Well, so, no. so, so with, with the, you know, you go with your attorney's um, kind of uh, plan, right? Like their yeah. strategy. And the strategy was he has no rights to ask you to do this. Okay. However, do it anyway, you know? And I was like, okay, I'm going to run around and go get my, you know, I mean, it's like humiliating, it's, I know. but this is what I spend my time doing. I spend my time defending false allegations against me. And I said, fine. I said, you know, but all the while I'm like, this, why doesn't he have him do it? Hmm. I have just as much evidence against him as he does me on this regard. So he needs a psych about, yeah. he needs, you know? Yeah. So anyway, um, it was the same. It was the same amount of, of, of evidence or the court never ordered it. The court mm. never saw evidence and said, we want you to do drug tests. We want you to go to rehab. We want you to do this. And then you can ever get, no, no, this is just he and his attorney dictating my life based on nothing, whatever they want, whatever they want. And there is no checks and balances. There is nobody to hold this Cameron Fernandez accountable. He can torture me however he wants, whenever he wants. And if I don't have money, it's worse because I don't have a, another attorney to defend me. And a lot of women in my situation yeah. uh, don't have that luxury at all. They are, they take their money and say good luck. And I'm in that situation now. I'm out of money and I don't yeah. have an attorney. And I have a five-day custody trial. I've been waiting for the custody trial. I've been waiting for the custody trial since I left him. So you and need to get attorney. an attorney because I believe this, this trial is in <laughs> September, you said? Yeah, it's, it's like three weeks away and they're deciding full custody orders. And, and as of right now, with an abuser. I was just about to say, as of right now, you have to go into court without an attorney. Is that right? Yeah, my options are to represent myself. I mean, I'm reaching out. This is also what I'm spending my time doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm reaching out to anyone and everyone, uh, pro bono, um, 
Right. I have VA, you know, I have some VA resources. I'm trying to see if they have anything, but legal isn't really their thing. And, you know, um, I'm a veteran suffering with PTSD, obviously. And yeah. so they're working with me in that regard, but I'm in the middle of that because everything just crumbled for me too. You know, when I reached out to you, I lost yeah. my attorney quit. Um, you know, I had to stay on supervision. We went into a, a um, this is another thing, a request for order, which is anytime you as a um, individual want to get in front of the judge before you're scheduled, you yeah. can do a request, a request for order. And you can say, hey, I want you to consider these things before September because we can't wait that long. Right. Right. Um, and so we had a request for order where we asked to lift supervision and or have him pay half of it. Yeah. Or and for some attorney fees. Right. Well, my attorney messed up and we only get five minutes each side. For a request for order for. I've been on supervised visits for 16 months with my children and you're giving me five minutes to come in here to ask to be lifted and also to ask for money. And you want me to, to explain all that in five minutes? Oh my god! And this gosh. is a brand new judge. This brand new judge hasn't, he hasn't seen this case yet because remember I told you they keep moving right. us. In. Right. So now we've course. been moved into another city with another, I mean, it's just nonstop. And a lot of times they call that judge shopping, like where they want the judge that's going to make the right choice for them. Right. So they will right. come up with different reasons. Um, and then like, I've had to ask for a continuance because I had to fire the last attorney after I found out, you know, what yeah. he was up to. So I had to ask for a continuance. So there's been some delays on my end too, but it's not because I'm, you know, don't want to get this done. Whereas he's just delaying, he's delaying it. So the, the strategy is to financially drain me. So I have nothing. Then what they come after you for is you can't provide for your children. Because so that's you exactly spent fun. all your money um, mm -hmm. on attorneys. And isn't that just convenient? And supervision. Well, and supervision. Oh, yeah. right. Because you have to pay. That's so insane. Um, So let me ask you, uh, just to, to wrap things up here. So we don't, I guess we, because I'm sure we could actually sit here and talk for two more hours about you know, little things <laughs> we could. But for right now, what can people do to help? And that's a great question because I've been thinking about that too. And um. I, I have a lot of support where people say, and you know, all I've been saying is I, I just need you to pray for me mm. because the level of corruption that is occurring in the family court system cannot be denied. It cannot be denied. And the level of help that is going to be required to make a change. And it needs to happen. This is a, this is a, in, in, in my, my humble veteran opinion mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> with a master's in human relations this is a nationwide pandemic. Mm -hmm. There are women who are in the torture chamber of the family court system being tortured like prisoners of war in your backyard, you know, in your backyard. This is happening yeah. to me. People are walking around and I am stuck and my children are stuck and I'm not even a worst case scenario. We have kids who are being sexually abused on a regular basis by their abusers who are being physically abused. We have kids who have been taken from their mothers and the mothers are put in jail. I'm not even the worst case scenario, but nobody wants to hear about that. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to listen because it's so much easier to turn our cheek. And I don't know what to tell you to do. I don't know. But here's what I will say. And this is what I told my friends. Whatever you would do if I was dead, do that. Because Captain Kastanoff, 
was screaming like me. Yeah. Just like me. Yeah. Just like me, Lauren. And and what? Yeah. I mean And now she's dead. Yeah. It's a that it's a horrible, and, horrible situation. And and obviously yours is is absolutely well, if you frustrating. Don't think, if, if you don't think we're desperate. Yeah. We we are desperate. And the emotional torment and trauma and watching my kids go through it and even just thinking about what might or might not be happening to them when they're not with you. Yeah. Yeah. It is a primal wound that you cannot deny. And to ask a woman to tolerate it, to ask a mother to tolerate it for a day, let alone 16 months or three years, whatever these women have been going through is, is absolutely unrealistic and wrong and unjust and torture, torture. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm reaching out to you to ask you what can be done because I'm talking to senators at this point. This is- Yeah. I think you're doing all the right things. Um, I really, I really think you're doing all the right things. I, you know, I, I will, I want to shout out, you do have a GoFundMe. I'll put the link, um, in the show notes to this so people can, you know, donate money for you to see your kids, for you to actually get a lawyer. Um, I, I think that, you know, I can look into this offline as well and I can take this offline. I can, there, you know, there's gotta be some kind of also like a local reporter. I feel like that you can speak to that can tell your story. There's, there's at least one. Okay. There's one good one out there that doesn't, um, that's not afraid. That's not, you know, right. And right. all it well, takes, um, yeah. Is, is a couple different, you know, journalists or reporters to get your story out. And it's, it's not right. I always say this, it's not right, but a little bit of media pressure never hurt anybody. Um, so if you had some information, about some of these judges or about your attorneys that you have proof of that you could say, well, this is why it's wrong. Reporters do really uh, eat that up, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and um, they'll say, okay, well now you're making sense. Now it's not just a woman who wants, you know, who doesn't have custody Mm -hmm. for kids Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. it's all Mm -hmm. about, it's a bigger picture. So they Mm -hmm. need the bigger picture. Um, Mm -hmm. But I want to thank you for sharing your story. And I, I do plan to reach out to you again, um, you know, and I will absolutely do some thinking on this on my end. Yeah. Um, because it's, I mean, I think if I had yeah. like, if I had the money for trial, I, so I have a, a, a criminal because truthfully to, to battle this, it, yeah. it almost has to be a criminal attorney because the mindset of his attorney and my ex is so calculated and they've mm-hmm. been creating this narrative even before I asked for the divorce, which right. Right. You know, um, I had no idea what I was up against. I had no idea what I was up against. Um, but yeah, I mean, if I, I know I have the right team that could expose it, I just can't pay them. And it's, it's, it to not have money, you know, I mean, the way the world goes around, it, it limits 100%, what you can do. And, and it, it's just, it's insane that you're almost being punished, I guess, for giving up your right. career to raise your kids, which is essentially what he wanted <laughs> the whole time. Right. So that's why this, this cycle is just so unfair. It is so unfair. Oh, unfair. And it's, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking, but, um, Shelby, I thank you Welcome. again for, for yeah. sharing your story. No, so yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I just hope it contains something. I really do. If not for me. And I said, when I started this, this battle and I realized the depth of it, I was like, I, 
I don't want another woman to have to go through this. And what do I need to do to make sure that that doesn't happen? Because these men are, they just, they, they're predators. They're predators. They find women specific Mm -hmm. to their agenda. I and, could not agree more. <laughs> I could not and agree it is, more. And it's, it is rampant. I mean, it's, I cannot, I start to tell my story and I, oh, my sister, my sister went through that. My dad went through, you know, it's mm-hmm. like everyone knows and everybody just goes like this. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, why are we saying I'm sorry? And, and, and we, we recognize it. We know it. We're educated about it. We understand narcissism. We understand what they do. We even understand how they play it out in court, but yet they're mm-hmm. still doing it. And that's what bothers me is we have women like you and I who are sitting around having podcasts and talking about it and saying how miserable it is. Yep. But nothing's changed in 15 years. 15 years people have been fighting for this. You are yeah. abs- you're <laughs> absolutely right. You really are. Yeah. And and I agree. It's it's time All for right. a change. It's time, <laughs> it's for, it's change, time for a change. I mean, what else do we have to lose? We have nothing left to lose anymore. We don't. Yeah. I we really don't. You're, abso- you're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm going to stop. Hold on. I'm going to stop recording. Okay. That was Shelby Bowen's story. I hope that if anybody has, you know, a similar story to this, or if they feel that they can help Shelby, you can go in the show notes. I put her social media handle. I put her GoFundMe. Um, I really, I really hope that Shelby can get something out of being on this podcast and and sharing her story and being brave enough to do so. So anyway, thank you so much for listening to this very important episode and I will see you next time. <laughs>